And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, and please be seated. Today's thoughts uh, come from our gospel reading from John 2, 13 through 22. An event that is known almost universally, even in uh, even outside the church. Uh, my mind goes back to 1971 when I was a whopping eight years old singing the song, Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man Who Stilled the Water. And part of that song talks, the singer was talking about that when she opened the book, the good book, she wants to tremble especially the part where the carpenter cleared the temple. So it's, it's a story that's not known to us. I mean, it's a story rather that is known to us, but how much of the inner workings of the story do we ever stop to consider? And again, our, our thoughts come from the gospel, where we read beginning in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And the temple, in the temple he found those selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers were, were sitting there. This gospel account, like I said, opens today as Israel was on the eve of yet another Passover celebration. It was a time that might be hard to describe in modern terms as, as we, don't, we don't very much have something akin to it. Uh, in numeric terms, the city of Jerusalem was bursting at the seam. I did some, some population research, and we see that the city, of Jeru- city population of Jerusalem around AD 30 was roughly somewhere between 50 and 80,000 people, uh, probably about the size of Fredericksburg or, or a small city like that. However, because the, past, the Passover was what we might consider, as, the, as our Roman brothers refer to, a holy day of obligation. It was a day that, uh, uh, like, like, and not over Passover, but the feasts of, of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles were, were celebrations, feasts, where all the men of Israel were required to, to be in Jerusalem. So we can, we can guess that at this time, the number of souls would become many times greater than the fifty to 80,000 people. There may have been well over a million uh, individuals in the city at that time. Uh, from an economic standpoint, business was booming. With this influx of people, uh, people who needed lodging, People who needed other logistical support, they needed to eat. They needed to sleep. Uh, They also had the uh, responsibility to acquire a Passover lamb that would be sacrificed and and consumed that night. So this brought the pilgrims in contact with the money changers. Uh, Individuals that... that, individuals that were associated with temple commerce and and the interaction with these money changers was unavoidable because all fiscal transactions within the temple between the years of 125 BC and 66 AD when the temple was destroyed 
were conducted through the use of what were known as Tyrian shekels. Uh, Common shekels and other coins had to be exchanged in what would have been a disparate exchange rate to purchase goods, pay temple taxes, to make offerings. In fact, we, we can infer that in the story of Jesus in the temple tax, when he sent Peter to go fishing, and when he caught the fish and he opened the, ma- opened the fish's mouth, the shekel in his mouth was a Tyrian shekel. But this, in, as this was happening, in the midst of all this, what sense of awe or reverence that one may have had for the house of the Lord was probably displaced with feelings of impatience or simply even just wanting to get away from the hassles that, of an event that perhaps could be even as, as, just, as jostling and bouncing as what a Black Friday before COVID might, might be when a new PlayStation hits the, hits the market. Then there was the general mood of all those who were in Jerusalem. In another age, on the, first, on the eve of the first Passover, all of Israel was trembling in light of what Yahweh had rained down on, on Egypt in the form of the plagues, and what he was about to rain down in, in, and due to the firstborn of their oppressors. So they followed the instructions to the, lo- the letter. They ate inside, sheltered away inside their houses. Uh, but much now, much is in the same way as, as our Thanksgiving Day, has kind of devolved into, and I hate the expression, Turkey Day. Uh, in a sense, this solemn feast had become Lamb Day, and it had become a cultural feast that was, as, that was very distant from its original sacred roots. Now, I want to make one thing clear. I, I am not holding these first century Jews up to scorn. They'd simply fall into a rut that many fall in. In fact, it's a rut that anyone can fall into if they're not careful. We can never allow special days to lose their shine and become mere routine. Whether it's Christmas, whether it's Easter, whether it's an anniversary, or or even a birthday for that matter. uh, We need to be deliberate and purposeful in our celebrations and observances lest they become routine. But at this point, we see that Jesus uh, had seen enough, and he begins to act because we read continuing in verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured the coins out of the muddy changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away and do not make my father's house a house of trade. Its disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? I think for me, perhaps one of the most frightful things in this unfolding scene is not what is said, but rather what scripture is silent over. At that exact moment, What was going through the mind of the Word of God? Let let that sink in for a second. What can you imagine that Jesus was thinking at this very second? 
Uh, well, we well we might imagine we can we can imagine or wonder guess what happened in the preceding preceding moments. We do have two facts that are that are clear at our, at our disposal. Jesus beheld what was occurring in his father's house, and the fact that he wasted neither time nor feelings in addressing and correcting the situation. The sounds of haggling grumbling, the sounds of commotion were suddenly replaced by crashing tables, scattering coinage, frightened animals, and shocked and angry Israelis uh, as, as Jesus quickly shut down their motley marketplace in God's holy temple. You know that moment at a, at a nice dinner, a nice restaurant where you hear the the, just the din of conversation, clinking glasses, silverware clanking on, on China. And all of a sudden you hear a crash. And that moment that that whole restaurant for a few seconds goes silent. I, I, I see something like that happening in this moment. But what, what can we take away from what was happening here? The first takeaway for us is, is to understand that as Jesus didn't, as our contemporary expression goes, lose it. In too many instances, the world and even the church has cast the Nazarene as either being a retire, retiring, ethereal, quiet man, kind of a living, precious moment figurine, or they have cast him as a lunatic. And I can guarantee, I can assure you that he was neither. In the same deliberate way that Christ woke that night on the storm-tossed wind, on the storm-tossed sea, rather, that was being blown by the wind, that he stood up and deliberately spoke, peace be still, Jesus approached this moment in, in the same fashion. He was completely in control of what was happening. And we, we need to understand, unlike any person previous... Or any person that would follow Jesus. Jesus possessed an insight to the temple shared by none except the Godhead themselves. The original tabernacle in the temple that followed was built as a model of the heavenly temple in the presence of the Almighty. Jesus tasted and saw the, the splendor and the glories of that ineffable place. Now he beheld the earthly temple as it was being reduced to a common bazaar. We consider that, and we consider that moment, when we consider that moment, rather, in the words of the psalmist, we gain either further clarity. For the psalmist said in verse, Psalm 69, verse 9, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen upon me. Now, for way too many years, I would read this verse, and I would pretty much treat it that comma as a period. But to get the full import of this verse, we, we have to read the verse as in one flow, in its entirety. Yes, he was consumed by, by zeal for the temple, because... The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Careless disregard for God's temple on the part of the Jews was an affront to God, the Father, and by, an ext by extension, affront to an affront to God the Son. 
these stewards of this temple would learn this lesson quickly. This was an act of discipline, an act of instruction rather than retributive judgment. His message was correct, if I can paraphrase. Get this stuff out of here and stop treating my father's house like a, like a farmer's market. Now, as parents, how, think of how many times in disciplining, disciplining our child, uh, we had to get their attention. Uh, children, are like, children are like snowflakes, in so fact as no two child or, children are alike. Even identical twins have their, their differences. I had one son, uh, well, I have one son who as a child responded quickly and positively to discipline. And it usually didn't require me raising my voice. It was a rare moment if, if I had to do what Jackie Gleason called in Smokey, Smokey and the Bandit, an, an attention getter. My other son, not so much. Uh, I had to resor resort to attention getters a lot. But what happened, uh, the message was conveyed and the lessons were learned. It was at one of those moments where the son says, I'm in trouble again. I said, no, you're not in trouble. It's just you need fixing. And that's exactly what these Israelis needed at this moment. They need, needed fixing. They needed to know what they were doing would not cut it. Uh, but yet... These recipients of this dis discipline were struck with a sudden sense of indignation and contempt for their master. Their contempt was clear as they asked the question, what sign do you, do you show us for doing these things? It was as if those merchants and money changers curled their lip, furrowed their brow, and sneered, how dare you? How dare you come in here and, and do this? Jesus, Jesus gave the answer. He said, I'll tell you how dare I do this. Continuing in verse 19, then Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you'll raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that. And he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus knew in their hearts, uh, he knew their hearts, and he knew that this act of discipline, in this act of discipline, rather, he hit the men in one of the most sensitive spots in a man's body, and that's in his wallet. They were, and they were now collectively seething, and they wanted mob justice. Uh, it was the reason that drove Jesus' Christ's cryptic re reply, rather, where he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And in this answer, Christ gave a, a, provided a parabolic response to those who would not hear the word of God and to those whose hearts were not inclined to the, to the mind of Christ. It's for the same reason that Paul reminds us. He said that, you know, our gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It, it's like um, there's two ways to throw a stone into the water. 
You, you, can, you can throw a stone up in a high arc to make it a big kaboom splash and watch the ripples go out. Or you can take that rock, and if you're good, you can skip that rock a dozen times before it finally uh, makes it into the drink. And for these money changers, these merchants, with their hearts being hard, stony ground, it, there was no way for it, the word of God to penetrate and in this, he hit, they were collectively seething in this parabolic response. But what's a good takeaway for us in the midst of, of, of this message and, and where we find ourselves today? Uh, I believe, let's, well, with the start of Lent 2021, we were each exhorted to pursue a holy Lent where we were called to a season of self-examination and repentance, by prayer and fasting and almsgiving, and by the reading and meditating on God's Word. In this self-examination, season of self-examination, we have a golden opportunity to look deep at, at, in our own, in, into our own lives in this, this time of special devotion to our Lord. We have to ask the question, have we, through laziness, through carelessness, uh, just through getting in a rut, if you'll have it, have we allowed this temple to become a house of trade? And a house of trade of, with things or pursuits that could be just spiritually unprofitable, or there's things that could be spiritually toxic and things that are literally dragging in our spirits, dragging us down and, and making it harder to, to walk, walk in the light of Christ. So we, if this is the case, and we'll know as we examine ourselves, if this is the case, we can be encouraged that in this season of the season, gives us opportunity to make a right beginning and restore fellowship with, with the Almighty. So my challenge to you today, my challenge to me today, is today in this week, let's look hard, let's press in to God the Father, press into the Word through prayer and self-examination, that He might be glorified in a greater level in all our lives. And this we proclaim in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.